You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. A lot of new faces. Great to have you. Welcome to North Valley. Um, I'm going to tell you a story about my brothers and I. I grew up in a household back at the Rice Ranch, uh, right outside of Little Rock, Arkansas, Ferndale, Arkansas. We're proud like Ferndalians, and we've got t-shirts that say, you know, uh, made in Ferndale, Ferndale, USA, and all that stuff. And so um, I was thinking about this as we look at the story of Jonah. You got Jonah is in the belly of a well. Like, he's got to be frustrated at God because it's kind of like... He's in a a tight spot and he's probably a little agitated and perhaps even angry that he's in this position. How many of you guys ever played the game called Mercy? Like when you were a kid, where you pin somebody down and nobody wants to admit to it? Come on. Like, you know, you're like, say mercy, say mercy. Or how about uncle? You twist their arm and then. So, as brothers, like, it's battle to the death, or at least until mom walks in the room. And so one of the games, this is a little weird. So one of the games my uh, older brother would do was he had this incredibly talented, sticky, cohesive saliva. And so he would pin us down on the ground. He'd put both knees, one knee on each of the biceps and pin us down. And then he would sit over us and then he would say, um, tell me I'm the best brother in the world. And we're like, no, you're not. You're actually, a, a, you're abusive. And then he'd go, okay, you're going to get the lizard spit. And then he'd go, and it would start to droop down. And I'd go, oh, please, please. And he'd say, say it, say it. And then he'd suck it up. And uh, he had this incredible talent for lizard spit. Some of you may be part lizard and can do that. Uh, But I felt frustrated and angry at times because there's nothing you can do. And so finally, there would be times I'd be in my defiance. I'd be like, no, I'm not saying it. And all I could do is just close my mouth, close my eyes, and just let it get me. Sometimes in life, you're going to feel like you're in a really bad spot where all you can do is cry, mercy, 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 mercy. Today, when we look in the story of Jonah, open your Bible, Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we see Jonah's prayer. Jonah's praying like his life depends on it. And what's really interesting to me is, did you know about 80% of Americans um, would say, yeah, that they pray at some point in time? Research was done, though, that those that do pray at least three times a month actually say that they pray for thanksgiving and gratitude. It was really interesting to me. Like Christian, like people are praying constantly, Lord, thank you for that blessing. Lord, thank you for this. Lord, thank you for that. But they're, 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 they're grateful. And actually, God is not like my big brother, thank goodness. He doesn't actually pin you down and get you to cry out mercy, mercy, and then torture you. No, he's actually doing something really good with Jonah, and Jonah's not going to cry out, mercy, mercy, mercy. He's actually going to, listen to me, he's actually going to say, thank you, God. Thank you for sending this whale to swallow me whole, because there's a reason behind it. Verse 1, 
Then Jonah prayed. Of course he prayed because he's been thrown over the, 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 over the boat. He sunk down to the bottom, if you were with us last week. And then the, the sailors chunked him over there. And the Bible says, the last verse in chapter one is, and then God appointed a big fish to swallow him up. So then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish. Now, a couple of weeks ago, if it wasn't last week, um, I'm trying to recall, but I talked to you about we need to embrace Jonah as a literal historical narrative, and it is true story, and I'll give you all sorts of facts, reasons, and why later, um, but that it's a true story, and so we need to believe that this fish could swallow a man despite, you know, it being a fish and sound like a fishy tail, pun intended. Um, Actually, there's a guy by the name of you Googlers, fact checkers, can Google a guy named James, uh, now my mind's going late, blank, uh, Bradley or Bradley. I wrote about it in my blog if you want to read about it. Um, but anyway, this guy, 19th century guy, they're whaling on the islands of the Falkland Islands, sounds like from a land far, far, far away, and they're whaling and a storm hits... And he gets thrown overboard, and literally a whale swallows this man, according to the story, swallows the man. Two to three days later, all his friends, they've already done the funeral. They're, 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 they're the, the sailors. They go back to the harbor, and on their way back, they harpoon this whale, take it to the harbor, skin it open, and then James comes out. And he's like, Aah! and he's alive. And his skin's all blotchy, it's bleached white, he looks like a big mucus human being walking around, but he's breathing, he's alive, he was traumatized, and there's all sorts of, you know, issues about that. But then I, I've got a buddy who did a bunch of research on it, because us pastors have to preach, you know, stuff that doesn't sound real and all that stuff, and I told you give God a break. He's supernatural. Like, come on. He, if he made the earth, can he not appoint a fish? Of course he can. But for you naturalistic thinkers, like, could that be possible? Yes. Actually, uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, those of you that are perhaps have subscribed to that in years past, now everybody just Wikipedia's everything. That's fine. But you should be fact-checking a little bit more. So anyway, if you write Encyclopedia Britannica and say, hey, I'd like more information because that's one of the things that you can do if you subscribe to them, they'll send you uh, scholarly articles. They actually verify that it is actually possible, very possible for a human being to be swallowed by a whale, although it, in their words, would be very uncomfortable, um, for two to three days, with a certain species of a whale. That would be a sperm whale. That's a massive whale, one of the biggest, largest whales in the ocean. And if it swallowed a man, it could hold him, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica scholarly articles, it could hold him, but there would be gastric acids and the stench of seaweed and dead fish. And to make matters worse, the temperature would be like 110. So it'd be like, ugh, ugh. that'd be terrible kind of like Arkansas in the summertime or Houston in the summertime, the sweltering heat and humidity, the stench and all that stuff, it could be like that. So Jonah prays in the belly of the whale. And for my naturalistic thinking friends that don't like to give God the supernatural power and authority that he does have, it is possible, okay? So verse two saying, what's he praying? He says, I called out to the Lord. That's good. Anybody ever called out to the Lord? Look what it says. I called out to the Lord out of my, what, distress. 
When you're, when you're struggling for an exam, you're taking a test, dear Lord, please, if you, if you help me through this, I'm, I, I, I swear I'll be a good person. I remember, I prayed that all the time in high school and college, right? Taking the exam, and then my friends would say to me, uh, well, did you study? No, I didn't study. I think God says, like, you should have studied, and then I'll answer your prayer. But Jonah, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he what? He answered me. That's the story of my life, by the way. Psalms 116, if you want to look it up, I got a life jacket. I used to be a river guide, and I, I had it embroidered on the back of my life jacket. And it says something like this. I called out to the Lord, and he heard my voice. And because he answered me, and because he inclined his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. That's my story. I called out to the Lord, and he heard my voice. Has God heard your voice? Let me ask you another question. Have you called out to the Lord in your distress? Or do you go to the bourbon, the booze? Do you go to the pills? Do you go to the social media? Do you binge watch on Netflix? Do you binge watch on Amazon? And all those different things, and not necessarily any one of those things perhaps is evil in itself. It's just the abuse of it and that it becomes kind of this medication for your soul that God says, kick that out. That's not, that's not going to help you. So let me ask you something. Do you call out to the Lord? Because that's what today is about. It's about prayer. Prayer is just a conversation with God. Like, do you talk to God? Because God created you. God made you. God wants you to talk to him. It'd be like having a family member and you're like, we don't talk. We're not on speaking terms. And you just move around the house, but you don't talk to anybody. You ever been there in a fight with somebody that you love? How many of you are stuffers? You just stuff it. You just stuff your anger. You resentment. You're like, well, you don't talk about it. I'm not talking about it. Nope. Nope. That's what happens sometimes with God in a relationship with God. People get upset. I'm not going to talk to him about it. Here's what I hear from my friends that left the church. I tried that. I tried it. Didn't work. So I'm trying something. And then I always say, how's that working for you? And they usually say, eh, it's okay. God wants you to call out to him in your distress. He answered me, Jonah says. He says, he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. What is that? This is like a Hebrew cuss word. Out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and he heard my voice. What is Sheol? Sheol. It's not a pile of Sheol. It's just, it's, it's hell in the Hebrew idea. Why is it like hell? Because there's 110 in that fish. Jonah's like, it's hotter than hell down here. And I was there. I was in, I was in the darkest place in my life. But I called out to you and you were there. That's what happened to me. I don't know what happened to you. I don't know if you've experienced God's grace and mercy in a powerful way, but this is why I stand on the stage. This is why I came to Phoenix, because God heard my voice. And then I thought to myself, what will I do? I'll call out on him as long as I live. And maybe there'll be others that I can awaken a rattle the cage for them to say, there is a God. He does love. He does redeem. And I'll follow him with you. That's why I'm here. 
because that happened to me. I'm Jonah, and truth is, is you're Jonah too. You, you were a runaway. You, you run away from God. You're also a castaway. There are times in life where you're like, I didn't do this, but whoosh, you sink, you fall. I mean, remember the story, Castaway, the movie, the crazy OCD FedEx executive, he's gonna do whatever it takes. He gets on a plane to Malaysia and he's flying across the sea and dismissing his family plans and he's cruising and all of a sudden, storm hits, plane goes down, starts swimming through the ocean, and he winds up on a beach and he's all alone. Will he ever return to civilization? He's got no friends, but he does have one. Wilson. He makes his little volleyball buddy and goes crazy on the island and Tom Hanks grows a massive cool beard. Where is that today, Tom? If you're watching this, where is that beard? So he's cast away. You, you might have felt like that before, cast away in a place and you're all alone, don't know what to do. Five months, you've been in quarantine. Five months, you're like, I hadn't been in quarantine. Okay, five months, you were supposed to be in some kind of quarantine. And my question is, is what have you been doing? What have you been doing for five months? You got good habits going on or bad? I watched social media and I think it got worse over the last five months. I think it got more twisted, more weird. Something's going on. He called out to the Lord. Will you call out to the Lord? Verse three, he says, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me and all your waves and all your billows passed over me. He's, he's reflecting upon, he's out of the fish at this point when he's writing this down. Jonah is the author. He's re- re- recording and writing down what happened. He was, he was in the belly of the well, belly of the shield is what he calls it. Then he talks about also kind of just when the sailors picked him up. I don't know what that would have felt like. Just throw me off is what he says. So they just, oh, we don't want to do it, but okay. They toss him over. He sinks. I don't know what the deepest you've ever gone underwater. For me, um, I've started scuba diving more recently here, and I'm like 15 feet underwater, and I can feel the pressure. The other day I was out uh, diving in Bartlett Lake, and I... Lost my wedding ring, and, and I don't feel so bad because all the guys I talk to, they're like, I've lost five. I'm like, dude, you are bad. I lost one in 18 years, and I'm like ADD king around here, so I, I feel pretty good about myself right now. I told my wife, I feel pretty good about myself. I lost one wedding ring in 18 years. Woo! But I'm still going to dive. I'm still going to find it. I was down there the other day diving, and I was trying to come up, and it's like, Something didn't work, and I'm trying to go up, and I'd brought a boat out there, and I dropped an anchor and a rope, and I'm trying to come up, and I'm like, "Eh, why am I working so hard? (laughs) And the bubbles are kind of like going way above me, and I'm like not moving, and then I realized a rope had got tangled around my air tank, and so I'm like stuck underwater, and I'm like, oh, newsflash, pastor dies in Bartlett Lake, went missing for days, body floated up. And his son found, I mean, this is terrible. I was like, Lord, help, help, help. I have this knife on the side of my flotation device and I'm like, and I'm starting to pull it and I'm thinking, I'm gonna do a Rambo here. I'm gonna pull this bad boy out and start slicing things. 
And then I start to pull it and all of a sudden I break free and I'm like, oh, never mind, I'm good. I swim to the top, I'm good. Never found my wedding ring, I keep looking for it. You got any dive buddies, let me know. But look what he says, verse four, he says, then I said, I'm driven away from the sight, from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. He's talking about he wants to be back in the presence of God. He's saying, I want to be back with you, God. I want to look towards Jerusalem. I want to, that was a common pattern of prayer that you just pray towards Jerusalem. He says, I want to be doing that. He says, the water closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. <gasps> Weeds were wrapped around my head. That would be terrible. Imagine being underwater and like kelp, like, <laughs> So what does God do? What's really cool? He's like, ah, oh, Jonah stuck. Jonah stuck. A point of fish. He didn't eat them. He just swallowed them. He says, look, he says, weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed me forever. Jonah's in quarantine in the belly of the well. That word bars doesn't mean the real bars. It means bars, although lots of bars are closed. Uh, he says, oh, the bars closed in upon me. That is the gates of Sheol. He's saying it felt like that mouth closed in on me. He's using some ancient Hebrew poetry. He's got a soft side to him, I guess. He says, upon me forever, you brought up my life from the pit Oh, Lord, my God. What happened? He sunk to the bottom. A whale's appointed. Which, by the way, a sperm whale, if you check it out, they get a huge, one of the largest whales. They could, it's a, their mouth would be about the size of a bedroom. So he, he could be in there. And there's air from the, from the, from the uh, whale that he could breathe, and it would be a nasty, wet, humid, nasty, stenchy, pungent, smell for sure, but he could do it. So he's swallowed up by this whale. He says, oh Lord, my God. Verse seven, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you, God. Now he's speaking directly to God, into your holy temple. And then he says, verse eight, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. What's he doing? He's thinking about his, the, the mission of people that he was supposed to be ministering to in Nineveh which is modern-day Mosul, and, and uh, you've heard about that place. It's a real place. But he, he's thinking about all those that have not trusted in God. He's thinking about the sailors. He's thinking about himself, probably, that he, he kind of forsake, he kind of turned towards an idol. What is an idol? An idol is anything you put in front of God. Idol could be Netflix. Idol could be Amazon Prime. I, uh, idol could be your pills. Idol could be alcohol. Uh, uh, idol could be somebody you love and you love them more than God. God says, I want numero uno in your life. I want number one. And anything you put in front of God becomes an idol. How do you know it's an idol in your life? It could, idol could be success, driven to success. Sacrifice everything on the altar of success. Idol could be uh, your desire for power. You want it to be influential. You want to be the person and get the reputation and the, the name that you want. An idol could be so, a relationship. How, here's how you, an easy one. Let me just use relationship, for example. If you daydream constantly and you aren't happy, I would just never be happy if this person wasn't in my life. I'm miserable without them, blah, 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 blah. It might be an idol. 
If it's your job, if I don't get this promotion, my life is doomed. I am forever nobody. Nobody cares about me. I'm not important if I don't get this. Might be an idol. I got to turn to alcohol every time I get stressed out. So it just makes me feel good. It helps me relax and I can't do anything else. And I got to watch Netflix and I got I to gotta numb myself with pills that's an idol. What does God want to do with your idols? He wants you to take your idol and go, you don't need that. You need me. Jonah feels bad. He's thinking about all those who are kind of turning towards idol. Jonah's actually in that camp. He kind of turned towards an idol, self-focused. In verse 9, he says, but with the voice of thanksgiving, He says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, what I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He's saying, my whole life is dependent on you, God. It's all yours. You want to save me? Save me. That's a good posture, I think, for a believer to have is like, God, whatever you want to do in my life, do that. However long you want me to live, I'm yours. Then you're not operating in fear. Then you're not so terrified. It's God's days, man. You you let him control it all. You do your best, like Keith Green said, do your best, pray that it's blessed, and what? God will take care of the rest. So what happens? Verse 10, and the Lord spoke, God spoke, and the fish, to the fish, (laughs) to the fish. I, I don't know. If there's animals in heaven, I want to meet that fish. I want that fish. I want that fish, Lord. I want the Jonah fish. He says, and the Lord spoke to the fish. Fish, go over here. Vomit Jonah out upon the dry land. That is nice. He got a personal transportation service. His head was wrapped around some seaweeds. He was choking. He was about to die. And God says, hey, fish, boom, over here. Get that guy, Jonah. I mean, I don't know, like, you remember Finding Nemo, like all those fish? Those were great. And their fish are like moving around. They got personalities. Like, I don't know what's going on with this fish, but this fish got a call from God. That's pretty cool. He gets a call from God. Go swallow that guy. Don't eat him. Don't break his legs. Don't, don't chomp him up. Just swallow him. Well, it's stinky in here, God. You sure about that? I'm sure. Go get him. Shoop probably severs that seaweed, probably severs those, all that stuff, that kelp that he was wrapped around. And then Jonah's like, where am I now? And then all of a sudden, a couple days later, he's right out dry land. That's the story. You ever feel like a castaway? You ever feel like you've been quarantined or you've been cast away, set outside isolated, discouraged, and all you could basically do is just pray. God, this is you now. This is all, I I don't know what to do. I I need you now. See, I'm sure Jonah probably thought, I wonder if I can pry those teeth open. I wonder if I could get my foot in there and kick this critter to get him to open his mouth, or maybe I tickle his tickle his tonsils or something and spit me out. I don't know. But you ever been in a spot before where you feel like you got gobbled up? Well, here's what every castaway needs to know is number one is God's grace will gobble you up. That's a good thing. If you were Jonah, you have to see this fish 
as a means of God's grace. Jonah sees that actually. Actually, if you look back at Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, he's not asking God for anything. He's actually telling God, thank you, thank you. Salvation belongs to you. It's all you, God, with the voice of thanksgiving. Why, he knows that his life was preserved. He knows that his life was protected. He knows that he was disobedient. He knows. God's grace will gobble you up as a Christian. And what does that mean? That means that God has a, a, a irrevocable call on your life. It's called the perseverance of the saints within church history and theology. It's a really cool thing. Look it up. Start studying the scriptures on it. Uh, John 10, 28 says that when, whoever um, God saves, that he's never going to cast them away. He's, nobody's going to uh, uh, be lost According to Philippians, that God, when he begins a good work in your life, he's faithful to complete it to the very end of your whole life. In every situation, every setback that you have, God says, I'm going to make this use for a comeback. I'm going to use it for a comeback for, for, for your good and my glory, God says. Does that mean it's going to be easy? Does it mean that you could never die? No, it's not what that means. What it means is, is that God's grace will always follow you as a believer all the days of your life. So like the psalmist says, you know, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So God's grace will gobble you up. That's where you want to be, friends. When you feel like you're in a, the belly of a whale and you sense, you got the temptation to say, forget you, God, or to take that holy moment of maturity and say, God, I know you're bigger and greater than I can imagine, so I want to look at this different now. God's grace will gobble you up. Secondly, what does every castaway need to know? You need to know that God uses affliction to get your attention. The Apostle Paul said the very same thing. He says, man, Lord, there's like a thorn in my flesh. I've asked you to remove it, but now I realize that you've spoken to me. The Lord spoke to the Apostle Paul and said what? My grace is sufficient for you. So even in the affliction, God says, my grace is enough. Why does God bring affliction into our lives? One of the reasons why is because he wants our attention. What, what was he doing with Jonah? He wanted Jonah's attention. Jonah was distracted. He was distracted with sinfulness and selfishness. He was distracted with himself. And God says, Jonah, I need your attention. The Bible says three different times that he, he ran from the presence of God. Like, who does that? He's a prophet. He should know better. He needed his attention. So the storm, what about that storm? That was a divine intervention, Jonah. The casting of the lots, when the sailors did that, it just so happened to fall on you, Jonah. See, God used this affliction. The sailors, Jonah says, throw me over. I know it's because of me. Jonah, whoosh, thrown over, goes through to the deepest and the darkest moments of his life, perhaps realizing what life is like when you're in rebellion towards God. And by the way, friends, the worst place you can be as a Christian, if you say you are a Christian, the worst place you can be is in complete rebellion against God. That is the worst place you can be. 
The best place you can be as a Christian is in a position to say, I screw up, I'm a runaway. I feel like a castaway. But God, I'm going to take a step forward. Forgive me, I'm ready to get back on the pathway to obedience. And obedience is always harder. Because Jonah was supposed to go back to Nineveh. Nineveh is a very tough place, mean people up there. And he doesn't want to go. So God's going to use this affliction to get his attention. He'll do the same thing in your life. What's that about? That's about purpose. God wants a purpose for your life. Sometimes when you think about the ministry leaders that are leading recovery ministries, who leads those ministries? Generally, the ex-alcoholics, the ex-drug addicts. Why? Because they went through significant affliction, God uses that as an attention getter, uses them and turns around and uses it for a great purpose. Or who can comfort a mom who's lost a loved one? A mom who's lost a loved one. God can use affliction to get our attention. And he, uses, he gives us purpose. So here's the good news about God. He doesn't waste anything. I grew up with a disability, and, and some of you write it off and go, yeah, that's nothing. Uh, I grew up with uh, attention deficit disorder. Like, I can't even say it. Attention, uh, attention deficit disorder. And I, I struggled so bad in high school. Like, people would talk to me, and I'm like, eh. And I just missed it. And then in, my dad finally said, like, son, you're smart, but you're not testing well. So let's get you tested, because he's a psychiatrist. Go get tested. Boom, he tells me, like, they, they, all these psychiatrists had to evaluate me, and they're like, you have got really bad ADD. And I'm like, great, what do I do? And they say, well, you're just going to have to get some accommodations to fit your learning style. So I'm like, all right, so do that. Get some accommodations. High school, at the very end of high school, I start performing better, like really good. Go to college. I had to walk the walk of shame. I go down to disability support services right when I got my syllabus for my classes. I'd go down, and I felt bad because as, they're, as I'm, students are coming out, like one leg, one arm, blind, and then here's me. I'm like, oh, man, I feel weird. And then I'm like thinking, man, I'm not that messed up, but I was messed up. So then I go to my college professors and I tell them, hey, I've got a disability. I'm, I'm going to need some accommodations. And they give me accommodations. But let me tell you what it did to me on the inside. I was a punk kid. I didn't come to faith in Christ until I was 18. I was a castaway. I wanted to kill myself when I was 18 because I got into so much trouble with the police. I got into so much trouble with my family. I burned every relationship I had. My life was a train wreck. And then I go to college. Who do I think I am? And I got ADD and I got to hang out with the people that like are barely able to function. I was humbled. But here's what it did. God used my affliction to get my attention. And he just said, keep praying to me. Keep depending on me. When you're weak, what does the Bible say? You are strong. I don't know what your affliction is. You may have some serious dysfunction or disability, but I'd say to you, let me tell you something good, friends. God never wastes any misery. He'll turn it into a powerful ministry. So what's, what's been the result of that? Man, I, I can hang out and talk with people that struggle and feel pretty low about themselves because I've been there before. 
and I, I, I can relate to them. And then I can also learn how to overcome because I went through college, made the dean's list, and then I went to seminary and did incredible, got two master's degrees, and I had a disability, a big one. And it was embarrassing. Like I have to like, I wish they had some kind of thing, but I would sit on the front row in every class and just sit there. I would audio record it. I would take notes. I would do everything. So every, every one hour my buddy would put into study, me, I had to put three. So, and, and that might be a B or a C at the end of the semester. So I had to work three times as hard as everybody else. So I'm just telling you what God's done in my life is he's shown me there's a purpose behind that. What does he want me to do? Ryan, I want you to work really hard. I want you to never give up. People have asked me before, man, your church is amazing. Right now we're at 50% of our average attendance. Our giving's better than it's been before. Compared to other churches, the average national church right now is 10 to 30% around the country. Our church is over 50% in three weeks. And people have said to me, what about your finances? How did you do everything on this campus? I'm like, God's good to our church. What is that? I'll tell you what it is. People have asked me before. It's sacrifice and service. It's commitment. It's perseverance. That's what it is. And where did I learn that? I didn't learn to help lead a staff team, lead an elder team uh, through church study books. No, I learned it in, in school. When I had disabilities and I had to stay up and work three times as hard as everybody else just to get a decent grade. I told my son the other day in business finance, I made a D and I was dang proud. I don't know what your affliction is and you may feel pretty stupid at times, but I I just like to say, God doesn't waste anything. Even your struggle, even your dysfunction he doesn't waste anything. He's that good. That's who he is. And he wants to use it for a purpose. Next thing you need to know about God is just this, is that God has a plan for you to be in his presence. That's a good plan. What, what was Jonah's issue? Jonah's running from the presence of God. You know what God's plan is for your life? God says to you today, stay in my presence. When, you, when you're in my presence, you're good. Can a Christian run away from God's presence? Ah, the Bible says, the Bible teaches that we are permanently filled or permanently sealed with the Holy Spirit as a New Testament believer today. So you can't get the Holy Spirit out of your life, but you can quench the Holy Spirit. You can upset him. He has feelings. He is a person. But God's plan is for you to have a fullness of God's presence in your life. And when you sin and rebel and go your own way, it's like you're kind of running from the presence of God. God's plan was for Jonah to be in his presence. And every time the word presence is mentioned in Jonah, it's about him running away from God's presence. And God's plan is, Jonah, I want you in my presence. So I got to send a fish for you, buddy. You're a a tough cookie. I'm going to send a fish for you because you don't listen. So God's plan is for you is his presence. And what does that mean? That means, friends, you get power. I want you to be powerful people. People that have a, a steadiness and a strength to them that people go, golly, how do you survive in that struggle? How do you thrive in, in that trial? You should go back and say, God's been good to me, man. I look to God, I call out to God when I'm stressed, when I'm freaking out. 
The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll give you power. Dynamos is the Greek word. Dynamite. And so as a Christian, you need a power, not a willpower. You need a God power in your life. And so how should we pray? I'll give you four easy ways in which I think we should pray based on what we've learned in the story at Jonah. Number one is I just encourage you when you pray, pray, pray with honesty. Pray to God what you're honestly going through. You got a difficult job. You got a difficult marriage. I like to say at North Valley, if anything of a value, anything that you value is hard work. And that makes you value it more. Your marriage is going to be hard work. Please don't kid yourself and don't lie to anybody. You know it's hard work. But it's good. If you work at it, your job, if you're going to push yourself, I told my son the other day, I want you working harder than anybody else. I want you pushing yourself. I'm going to tell people that, that oversee you to make you sweat. Because you got to work hard at it. And you can be honest with God and say, God, I I need your help. This is too hard. I I love what Jonah says. He's in verse three. He says, Lord, you cast me out into the deep. That's kind of brave. Lord, you're the one who did this. Is Jonah right? He did. He is right. God did do that. Bible says is that God hurled the storm to do that. Be honest with God. Whatever you're going through, let him know it. He can take it. Verse verse 2 said the same thing. I called out to God in my distress. Go to God when you're angry. Go to God when when you're happy. Go to God whatever is going on. God's not like your spouse or another loved one because when you're super angry, you shouldn't talk to somebody about the issue, right? Like you're like, I'm so angry. Good, let me come talk to you right now. Let me, let me give you a piece of my mind. And then you give them a piece of your mind and they're like, please, eh, get away. So you, you've got to figure this out as a believer. You can be honest with God though. You can be honest with God about whatever you're going through. Second thing I'd encourage you to do when you feel like a castaway, when you've screwed up, be hopeful, even in the hardship. Hope is crucial. Maybe you've experienced a major setback right now. Well, thank God that he's the God of comebacks if you've got a setback. Thank God that God can save guilty sinners. He can rescue and restore a marriage. He can uh, take a terrible situation and make good of it. He can deal with dysfunction. Be hopeful even in the hardship. Jonah said in verse 7, he said, I remembered the Lord. Good idea. Verse 9, he said, with a voice of thanksgiving that he talks about this. Uh, Jonah's thankful. It's interesting, I did research on American, the content of American prayers, and, and most people are praying for, thanking God that they feel blessed. Uh, I know many of you do that. You pray, most Christians today pray silently. They won't pray aloud, but they pray silently, and that's a good thing, that they're praying it some level. And they're praying though, they're praying and thanking God for the blessings in their life. And I think that's a good thing. I would encourage you to always be hopeful, even in a hard situation. As soon as you hear the bad news, pause for a moment and back up and go, God, show me what's good in this. Show me what's good in this. Okay. All I can say is I know that you'll never abandon me and forsake me. That's good. All I know is that You said in your word that you'll use all things to work together for good. I'll take that. 
Those are the kinds of things that you've got to hold on to. But you say, well, Pastor Ryan, I don't know those passages you were talking about. Well, that's why number three, you need to be filled with Scripture. Don't be filled with self, because this is what your prayers will be like. Oh, God, my life sucks. Everybody's mean. I hate everybody. They hate me. But if your life is filled with Scripture, it becomes this powerful thing in your life. You know, 21 different times there's Old Testament references in these 10 verses. Jonah prayed scripture, man. That's what he's praying. 10 verses, 21 different references to the Old Testament. This guy, if you were to cut him, he would bleed Bible. I mean, that's how thoroughly saturated his soul was with scripture. I want to challenge you in a time like this, you need to be filled with scripture. People are looking to you as Christians about your political views. They're looking to you about your lifestyle choices. They're looking to you about how you respond and engage in in the world today. And they're watching you and wanting to know. My encouragement is, would you be filled with Scripture? Would you let the Word of God kind of saturate your mind and your thinking so that when you're talking, it like becomes substantive into the source of Scripture? I can think of many different times as a pastor when I've been in a ministry moment and I began to talk to somebody and they come up and they talk to me and I tell them like, hey, I begin to quote scripture to them. And I don't have an incredible memory. I already told you my disabilities and all the things that I struggle with at some level. But scripture has a powerful influence on people. I want to encourage you when you pray, be filled with scripture. Number four, I challenge you, be committed to follow through. Be committed to follow through with whatever God is calling you to do. Um, Right after, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but right after first service, a gentleman uh, came in a little bit late, actually walked through that door right there, which is a no-no, and so don't walk through that door. Interrupted the service and sat down, and I thought, hmm, I wonder who that guy is. He said, Pastor Ryan, after the service, he says, "Um, I'm a Ninevite. I'm from Mosul. I'm an Iraqi Christian. And I came to the church today because I need you to pray for me. I said, okay. He said, I'm moving back to Mosul because today there's all Muslims there. And God spoke to me and told me, I got to go back. And I've actually worked with the Bush administration before, Pastor Rice. And, uh, and now I'm going to be working with the Trump administration. And I'm going to ask for you to pray for me today because I'm going back. There are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians Uh, that are on the outskirts of what we know as Nineveh in the Bible. And maybe it started with Jonah. Maybe Jonah was the first preacher in that area. Maybe the the great, 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 great grandparents or whatever, that's because of Jonah. He said, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians that all left the city when Islamic uh, radical Muslims came in and drove us out, destroyed our churches, destroyed our places of worship, and now they're all on the northern foothills of the mountains. He said, pray for me. I'm committed to go, but I'm going, and he said, and by the way, please don't use my name because I'm a target right now. So let's just call him Jonah. Let's just call him Jonah and let's pray for him. But let's thank God for a man who is so bold, willing to lose his life, willing to let go of his family and go into a place that is deeply persecuted 
for his faith because he's committed. I wonder if we could have that kind of courage as a Christian. Could you have the courage to be committed to follow through? Jonah said, salvation belongs to the God. I'll sacrifice what I've vowed. I'll keep my promise. He's going to Nineveh. Will you, will you be committed? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for that man that came in today, and we'll call him Jonah. Maybe he put you off for a very long time, but he's going now. And he feels called by you to go into a persecuted country and city and to work with powers here in the United States of America to bring the freedom of religion into that city. And God, we pray for him, his protection. We pray that he would connect with the lowest of the low and the highest of the high in that city. And Lord, that he would find favor within uh, governments and militaries. Lord, to bring freedom of religion in that place. Lord, we thank you for our freedom as a country. Lord, and we thank you that you call us up. You don't call us down. And Lord, when obedience is tough, might we arise and stand strong. In the name of Jesus, I pray for all my friends here today, on site and online, might they take that step of courage and to become more and more into the man and the woman that you're calling them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, one practical application for you, my encouragement is to you, is to start praying scripture, okay? Start immersing yourself with the scripture so much that you begin to pray scripture into your life. And that is incredibly, incredibly important to do that. So um, we're going to continue in our time of worship together. And I want to thank you for all the, um, the, the financial giving, like I said, with our church that uh, many of you guys have done. Many, m- most of you that did not give online and reoccurring actually made a shift during the COVID-19 season and started giving online in the reoccurring. And that's what saved us. That's what saved us. Because imagine if you're trying to run your household, but you're like, I don't know who's going to give and who's not. You know, everybody went online. Everybody started doing reoccurring giving. And guess what happened? We didn't have to let a single staff member go. We didn't have to do major cutbacks. In fact, we actually made major investments. We had campus development funds set. So we have majorly upgraded our entire campus. So can we thank you to thank each other? The best is yet to come. So uh, 15 months ago, we started out with a resource initiative called the Serve Like Jesus Resource Initiative. We believed uh, at that point in time that God was calling our church to have a regional influence on the North Valley, preparing kind of like a a mission base to reach uh, into the major neighborhoods of the North Valley as thousands and thousands of people begin to move in. And we said, we we need to increase our ministries and upgrade our campus. We did a big resource initiative. You guys have been giving faithfully, many of you for 15 months above and beyond your regular tithes and offerings. And as a result, we were able to do this, but we had the major setback. We knew that we had to get the permit for that building, the largest building, the last building on our campus as you drive in, unoccupied, the last and the largest existing building that needs to be renovated. And we said, we can't get the permits for that. Why? Because the parking lot. Well, then the parking lot came into play. A God story. Guy in the church service says, I want to help. We're like, we need your help. 
And he came forward, and then because of your generous giving, we finished the parking lot. And then last week, the city called, said, you got your permits. So we're, we're going to keep expanding, okay? And we'll do the best we can to just create the best opportunity for you to come every single week to be encouraged, to be educated, to be equipped to live out your faith in a place where people are going to hear about Jesus and get the chance to start that relationship with Jesus. So thank you so much, guys. Let's continue to worship. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.